0: Let's dive into improving our state of being this week on the minding wellness podcast. I'm excited to bring you Dr. G. Leslie Reese coming to us from Barbados. She is a general practice and palliative care physician, providing medical care of the highest quality to adult patients, regardless of their age stage or station in life. Her philosophy is that everyone matters. And because of this her patients and their families can expect to benefit from her calm demeanor, thorough approach and genuine displays of compassion. In this episode, we talk about palliative care, how that differs from hospice, what that looks like in her practice and specifically in her country. We talk a little bit about the differences in healthcare systems between there and here in the US. We touch on the concept of death and how that has shifted her perspective on life. And of course, we touch a bit on COVID-19. So a little bit of everything and a lot of love coming from Dr. Reese, enjoy. All right, I'm really excited today to be sort of on the international mic here with um, Dr. Leslie Reese, who is in Barbados. So I'm really appreciative of her time. I know she has a very rigorous schedule and we met between um, our mutual friend, Denise Devinish, who I'm very grateful for, for her connecting us. And it was sort of a natural fit for bringing her on here. I think it's a great way to get some insights into the differences in the different Country's healthcare systems, also what's going on right now with COVID 19, and just getting her insights in the specific field of medicine that she practices in. So, thank you so much for being here today, Leslie.
1: Thanks for inviting me and thanks for having me.
0: Of course, yeah. So, as I always ask my guests, what does true wellness mean to you?
1: Okay, so I'm a palliative care physician, which means that I see patients through the average person's idea of wellness through illness until they transition into death. And because of that, I think I've developed an idea of wellness that basically is not just about our physical well-being, but also our mental, emotional, social well-being. And it just so happens that those are the tenets of um, palliative care. So for me, true wellness is about Yes, I feel healthy in my body, but am I at peace with the others around me? Am I I at peace with my loved ones, my workmates? Is there anything that I can do to correct that? If I'm not, am I at peace socially in my environment, amongst my community? So for me, that's what true wellness
0: is. And I and I can imagine that that is so much more emphasized in the field that you're in, and we will definitely dig more into that. Let's first start with sort of your background into medicine, maybe how you got interested in going into medicine, where you did your training, and how you sort of like found yourself in the field of palliative medicine.
1: Okay, sure. So it's interesting that today you should be asking this, because just yesterday I was saying to a friend of mine who suffers from really bad endometriosis that endometriosis is the reason that I'm a doctor. So she was like, what? I don't understand. So I said, well, when I was a child, I was three or four years old. My mom had to go into a hospital to have surgery for endometriosis. And I remember when she went into hospital, I was so upset that I could not be the one to look after her. And I was staying with my aunt and my grandmother at the time. And they said to me, well, you know, you you can look after other people if you become a doctor. And it was at that moment that I decided I want to be a doctor. So going through primary school, which would be the equivalent here of your elementary school, going through high school, my decision was I wanted to be a doctor. And I never, ever queried any other ideas as far as a profession goes. I just always wanted to be a doctor. And I never strayed from that.
0: So interesting. I really love that story. I always find it so fascinating how people, you know, found this passion and, um, what a cool story that, you know, it's so funny because sometimes we feel as parents that our kids aren't listening and you were listening so intently that all it took was that sentence to literally dictate your whole path in life. So that's, that's really cool. I, I I really, I love that. So, all right. So that was in your mind. You were like, I'm going to be a doctor. And, uh, so then where did your studies take you?
1: So I studied in Trinidad, um, which is another island in the Caribbean. Um, In the Caribbean, we have the University of the West Indies. So there's a campus here in Barbados, there's one in Jamaica, and there's one in Trinidad. I went to Trinidad, I studied medicine after five years I graduated, and I went into the polyclinic, which is a public clinic setting that's run by the government. in my mind, I wanted to be a general practitioner. Um, I did that for a few years, but I, I think I'm somebody who gets bored easily, and I like to, you know, be in environments that are changing constantly. So I started to do house calls. And that doing house calls was actually the bridge between me doing general practice and palliative care. I had a friend who, he is a family physician, and he would often come across patients requiring palliative care, and he had heard feedback from other patients who had seen me at home. So he would ask me to see some of his palliative patients. So then there was a palliative workshop coming up, so he asked me if I heard about it, I said no, because honestly, palliative care was the farthest thing from my mind, the farthest. So I signed up to the workshop, and I went, and it just felt like, you know, people talk about that aha moment, that for sure was my aha moment. I was like, no, I'm supposed to do this. Mm. <laughs> this is what I'm supposed to do. So the president of our local palliative care association, I met her at the workshop, and I spoke to her, I expressed my interest. And really and truly, she, she embraced me, literally the next day, Claudia. She called me and said, She's going to see a patient because she's a social worker by profession. She said, She's going to see a patient. And she invited me to come along just for the experience. And literally, I was thrown in at the deep end, but everything came so naturally for me. It was, it really was amazing, an amazing experience. And I think that initial visit was kind of the, it was like Eureka Lati, like you have, this is where you're supposed to be, this is what you're supposed to be doing. And it just snowballed from there. I started um, looking up different workshops and so on, because palliative care is becoming more and more popular across the world, but it's still not defined as a specialty of itself. So plastic surgery is a specialty, pediatrics is a specialty but palliative care is considered a subspecialty. So a lot of the training that palliative care physicians have are in addition to, let's say, being an internist or being a family physician, as opposed to it being its own specialty. Mm -hmm. So I did my training in palliative care in Jamaica, which as you might recall, I said, um, the University of the West Indies, they have a campus there. So my training was actually in a program that was formed between Harvard University and the University of the West Indies in Jamaica. And it was a really, really, really good um, program. And I learned a lot. I built a lot on what I had already been practicing without really even having been formally taught before that time, And because of that, again is what made me realize, you know, that this is this is something that clearly is in you, something that you I think is your calling. And I'm glad that it found me. When people ask me why I got into palliative care, I often say it found me. I didn't find it. <laughs>
0: You know, it's so crazy that you just said that because I was literally thinking like two minutes ago how it's always the coolest stories when you didn't find it. It found, I mean, I literally was thinking about those exact same words (laughs) that, you know, it's like when I talk to people, I can always tell when they feel so soundly like they're on the right path and they tell me the story and it's always the details are different, but it's always the same. It's like it found them. They didn't go seeking it. And I just always love, those are always the best stories. So, so funny that you just said that. Um, all right. So I I love that. I love that this wasn't on your radar. It found you, but then once it did find you, you just sort of felt at home with it, which is again, I think another sign that we just kind of know when something's right. And, um, and you did. So that's really awesome. What, can you share a little bit about The difference for people, I think a lot of people are very familiar with the term hospice, at least here in the U.S. We know what that means. And like I was just talking to an end of life doula and I was having her kind of explain the difference between what she does and what hospice does. So similarly, can you explain a little bit how palliative care is different from hospice?
1: Sure. And I'm really glad that you asked that question because... It might be different for the U.S., but I know definitely in Barbados, palliative care is still a very emerging field. So when I meet someone and they ask me, what type of doctor are you? And I say, palliative. Sometimes I get a really quizzical look. So then to to make it easier for them to understand, I would say hospice. And then they're like, oh, but then I go on to explain, well, there's actually a difference. But at least you understand. So the difference between palliative care and hospice really is a timeline difference. So hospice is a subset of palliative care. Palliative care is care that we offer to patients who are suffering from a life-limiting illness from the moment of diagnosis of that illness. So if you've been diagnosed with, let's say, pulmonary fibrosis, and you're told, okay, you may very well go on for another five years, there's nothing that says that palliative care cannot start at that point in time. And I think it's important for people to understand that because you hear the term palliative care or because your doctor has suggested that you should see a palliative care physician, it doesn't mean that we're giving up on you. It doesn't mean that we're abandoning all disease limiting or... Life saving measures, it just means that we're trying to make you as well as possible in the time that you have left, whether that time is a year or 10 years. Hospice care, as I said, is a subset of palliative care. So the aim is the same, where we want to make sure that you're as well as possible in your remaining time. But hospice care is specifically for patients who are predicted to have only six months or less to live, right? And saying that just now made me want to raise another point, which is that no doctor can accurately say how long somebody has to live, but we do use certain um, predictive models based on a patient's level of activity, their degree of illness, and so on, to help us to kind of gauge how long someone actually might have remaining.
0: Okay, really interesting and I think important differentiations there um so so yeah, the point here is that hospice typically starts at the six month or less point with that timeline, of course having some you know subjective variability, you know although you go you know as much as you can on objective information, whereas palliative can really be going on for decades, a half a decade, a full decade um or maybe more for those people who are getting palliative care, are they also? Do they have the option of of um, switching like in and out of more active treatment, or are they are they like simultaneously potentially getting active treatment, or are, once they're palliative, they're really kind of strictly palliative? How does that sort of coincide?
1: No, so they actually have the option of switching between you know more active care and palliative care. As I said, palliative care goes hand in hand with active treatment, so. You may have a patient with cancer who's having chemotherapy, but still seeing the palliative physician. And what I think is important to know at this point is that studies have actually shown that with good quality palliative care, your, your quality of life improves, but the length of time that you're predicted to have left actually increases sometimes by up to a year. So, Yes, you may be going through um, the treatments to manage the illness at hand, but palliative care is there just to make sure, for instance, that, okay, your chemotherapy is not making you feel so ill that you can't function in other areas of your life. And a large part of palliative care is to, it's a multidisciplinary approach. So it's not just the palliative physician, but their nurses, their social workers, their chaplains, you know, dietitians, just to make sure that we cover every aspect of your care and even aspects that you as a patient may not have thought of, but are very important. And that for sure, your doctor who is focused on getting you better and just dealing with the disease progression may not be thinking of
0: either. Okay. Really interesting. And I think an important, such an important role. I was thinking the same thing as I was talking to the end of life doula that, you know, such important roles that you're playing, that she's playing and that just aren't talked about enough and aren't known enough. So I'm glad that we're getting that exposure because, um, you know, if it's not brought up as an option, at least it opens up a door to conversation for people who are hearing it to say, Oh, Hey, you know, to their, maybe their general practitioner. I just, I just heard this, you know, wonderful doctor in Barbados talking about palliative care, you know, it, you know, is that something that's an option for me? So I just, I love opening those doors of conversation. So let's talk about, since this is, you know, certainly a, a pretty decent shift from just, you know, being more internal medicine, general practitioner, um, and being with people at a very vulnerable time, and especially as they get closer to death, um, I'm sure that you have sort of had some, you know, life perspective shifts as you have witnessed a different Sort of period in people's lives and in their medical journeys. What's some of those, you know, perspective shifts that maybe you had or insights that you've gained from working with that population?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Claudia. I think most, the most, the greatest shift that I've had is not being afraid of death. Like the average person is afraid of dying, the average person is afraid of death. And I make the distinction between those two things because dying in palliative care circles is, you know, the process of dying, everything that the individual goes through during the dying phase. And then death is when that person is no longer with us physically. And for me, being involved in palliative care has made me realize, you know, this is not something that needs to be feared. And I think a huge... Part of the reason that so many people fear it is because there's so many unknowns. Nobody has ever really died and gone and then two or three weeks later come back and said, oh, this is what happens and this is what I've experienced. Um, So that for me was really the biggest thing. It also taught me that, you know, it's really important to have good rapport with the people who you consider to be most important to you. Because at any moment, we could go. Um, I always say, and it's a Bajan, Bajan is another term for Barbadian, saying that none of us has got tomorrow put down, meaning that none of us is promised tomorrow. So as much as you can, you know, it's not every day that you're not going to be annoyed or so with somebody that you love. But at the end of the day, you need to stay focused on what's really important at the end of it all
0: hmm I definitely agree. I, I would say probably, you know, even up until about five years ago, death was not something that I would have wanted to openly talk about. You know, I feel like in general, and I don't know how the culture is there if it's as much as it is here, but it's just not something, you don't talk about it. You don't, you know, you sh- if anything, you're shielding, you're shielding your kids from it. You know, it's like we go through our whole lives trying to avoid the topic that is Ubiquitous that it's it's a certainty in our lives, but but yet we're all kind of left to experience it alone. Is that the a similar cultural aspect of hair
1: hair is amazing. Like I'll make two points to that. So my son, he's 10 years old, and I think very soon after I got into palliative care, one day I sat and I had a talk with him, and I said, you know, I can't promise you that I'm always going to be around, but I want you to know that when I do go I wasn't afraid I don't want you to be sad and be thinking you know my mom was afraid of dying i I told him just just know that I was not afraid <laughs> and mm. I think that made such a huge difference because I could literally see like how relaxed he was after this and then the other point is that Very recently, so the same Barbados Association of Palliative Care, we were having a meeting where we were speaking with um, the guy who we want to be, our new PRO, and we were, you know, bouncing ideas off each other in terms of how we were going to get the word out there about palliative care because our aim this year really is about educating the public, educating even other physicians that, you know, palliative care, exists and it's available in barbados so one of my suggestions was you know we should have a radio show and the look on his face claudia it was as though Mm -hmm. (laughs) he was like nobody wants to hear about death nobody wants to talk about death right (laughs) (laughs) yes i was like well that's true but i think that the more we stigmatize it
0: the worse it is right I totally agree.
1: Sigma stigma is going to prevent us from reaching any of the targets that we want to reach right now. So it, I'm not saying to go out there with a message of doom and gloom. But as you rightly said, it is a reality for every single one of us. So while we need not dwell on it, we need to acknowledge its existence at the very least.
0: Yes. Yes. And take away the stigma, take away the taboo, you know, it stops shielding our children, you know, from it. And, and then we're sort of left as adults who have been shielded all of our lives to now try to figure out this huge life event that nobody's taught us how to deal with or accept. Or so I, I couldn't agree more. And I think the more that we talk about it and we just Except that it's going to happen to each and every one of us, and if the more we know about it, you know, the le- Although we don't have the certainty of you know what happens after death, we can at least have more conversations about the process of it and um, planning for it and all that. So I, I completely agree. And since we're kind of talking a little bit about you know some of the cultural differences or similarities in Barbados, what what is some of your understanding of the difference in healthcare systems in general? So when we talk about and I don't even really know, honestly, how what the coverage is here as far as an insurance standpoint on palliative care. But as we talk about, um, you know, the the coverage from an insurance or or government standpoint of palliative care, how does the whole system kind of on a large scale compare there versus here?
1: Okay, so in Barbados, we have um, free healthcare for all. Um, which means that if you go to any public clinic or public hospital, whatever you have done will be covered by taxpayers. You don't have to pay out of pocket. Um, you don't have to be specially registered to anything. Like, I'm not sure how Medicare and Medicaid work over there, but you don't have to be registered to anything here. You just have to have a Barbados ID card, really and truly. Um, while that's all well and good, we don't have a public health palliative care service. So palliative care in Barbados is, for the most part, done privately. We don't have a hospice in Barbados. We're trying to raise money so that we can have a hospice built. So all of my palliative patients are seen either in their own homes or in nursing homes who um, work with me to help palliative patients who may either prefer not to be at home, or just don't have the resources in terms of um, help at home to stay there. Um, palliative care, it can get expensive, especially when you think about um, the costs for nursing and any specialty equipment that may be required by the patient, um, which is again, one of the purposes of the association that I'm a part of. We try to raise donations so that as much as possible for people who are in need, we can help them out. Because there are quite a lot of Barbadians who are not covered by health insurance, especially older Barbadians. Um, Either because they would have lost coverage when they retired or if they didn't have coverage before. But let's say as they got older, their children would have had their own um, insurance coverage and tried to add them. It didn't work out, or so on. So for our younger palliative patients, because remember, palliative care is not just about people who are approaching, you know, the departure as some people like to say. Um, there are young palliative patients as well. They usually tend to be covered by insurance, and ins- I've not had any problems to date with insurance coverage for palliative care meaning doctor's visits, nursing care, even um, nursing home costs in some cases. Um, but there is a challenge with our older patients who don't have any um, insurance coverage.
0: Okay, interesting. So so free healthcare for all, it's, it's tax, um, sort of tax covered. But once you've reached retirement age and you're no longer actively working, then the coverage kind of gets questionable and some people have to move into more private private pay options is that correct? Yes. Okay. Interesting. And so I know you mentioned house calls. Now that's something that's um, you know, kind of what a lot of us think of as as old school. Like that's, you know, that's what doctors used to do is make house calls and, <laughs> and it's super cool though that you're doing that here. I mean, that's a that would be a very rare find here. So, is that something that is specific to you in the field of palliative care or are house calls something relatively common there?
1: Well, it's not common. Um, I started doing house calls before I started palliative care, just because, I, as I said, I get bored with the mm-hmm. office and clinic. So while you might be seeing different things, the environment is the same, da, da, da. whereas with house calls, I found that even for my GP patients, I found that. You know, a more relaxed setting, patients tend to be more open with you, and there's usually no rush on a consultation. Very, very often when I say to patients, especially older patients, that I do house calls, they're like, what? Well, I haven't heard of a house call since I was a child. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not very common. Um, There are a few more doctors now who are doing house calls in Barbados, but The problem is that lots of doctors are so overwhelmed with their practices that they just don't have the time Mm
0: -hmm. to do house
1: calls. So they really rely on doctors such as myself and some of my colleagues who our niche is in house calls really.
0: Okay, really cool. I, I love that you do that. And I, I knew that you had been doing that as I was following Denise and her dad's journey. And um I was just thinking, wow, is that is that a usual practice there? Because that does not happen here <laughs> for obvious reasons too, because of the overload and the volume. And but you know, just from a practical standpoint of really getting to know patients in their own environment see you know and just even visualizing their environment you know yeah, exactly. I mean knowing yeah. what they're living in what they're living amongst who, who they're living with I mean you could get yeah. such a such a better picture of of some of the you know, shifts that you could make for them or, you know, advice for them just based on that versus a snapshot of 10 or 15 minutes in an office. So so I think that's really great that you're doing that. All right. Let's, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of questions that that listeners might have, and I'm thinking there might be somebody listening who thinks either for themselves or a family member, you know, I'm wondering if maybe my family member would benefit or be a candidate for palliative care. How would I know and how do I bring this conversation up? So I know that, you know even though you're not working here in the U S if somebody's listening and thinking, I wonder if that's something that I should be asking about, what, what is some of your advice or, you know, guidelines for helping them figure out if they're a candidate or if they should bring that conversation up to their, their primary care doctor.
1: Okay. So palliative care is relevant for anybody who has a life limiting or life threatening illness. Right. And it's interesting because the World Health Organization has actually recently expanded their definition of palliative care to include um, illnesses that are not necessarily thought to cause death. So as long as you have an illness that is serious enough to impact your way of life, impact your emotional well-being, impact your financial well-being, impact your spiritual well-being then you definitely are a candidate for palliative care. What I would also venture to say is that there are so many resources on palliative care, um, US websites, Canadian website, European website, lots and lots of information on palliative care, both for physicians and for patients. So just a quick Google search, um, palliative care, and you'll find resources that can better help to answer your questions may answer any questions that we have not touched on here Um, but I do find that there are a wealth of resources out there and as far as raising it with your doctor just say you know I'm wondering if palliative care may be a fit for me and as I said I think the advantage that you guys have over there in the U.S. compared to us in Barbados is that I've read about um, dedicated palliative care physicians within hospitals that hang, um, with a full team of a social worker and a chaplain and so on. Um, I did some of my training through the University of Colorado system as well. And a lot of our case studies were palliative patients who were seen within their dedicated palliative care service team. So I think there's a lot of scope probably lots more scope over there than here. <laughs> um, so really, it is just a matter of you bringing it up. Ideally, obviously, it would be great if your doctor would say, you know, I think that you may benefit from palliative care. But then at the same time, there are lots of doctors who don't want to bring it up because they think that by bringing up palliative care, they're going to scare you or that, you're going to think that it means that it's the end when it's really not. So there's always that
0: interplay
1: there going on.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And that's why I really do encourage people to listen to these episodes. And if there's something that they think, you know, resonates with them or fits with their specific condition or condition that their family is dealing with, you know, to just open the door to conversation. Cause I agree with you. I think that there's so much stigma around, Just the concept of death. And what some of these words might bring up emotionally that sometimes it's just not brought up. And so um, If the person can bring it up, I think it would open a door to conversation that maybe wouldn't otherwise happen. So, so really helpful, um, helpful information for sure. Let's talk a little bit about, I guess, the the elephant in all of our rooms, which is COVID nineteen. Um, oh what my gosh. is <laughs> what? Not that I not that I want to bring a a death conversation to now COVID, but um, but I think that I think it's just interesting to know what other countries are doing from a very first hand kind of you know approach. So you're you know you're there, you're a physician there, so obviously you've had to to stay um in you know very close touch with what the regulations are and how you should now protect yourself with your patients. And then what just the public is doing. So what's the current state of COVID-19 there and what sort of lockdowns or, you know, social distancing do you guys have in place?
1: Okay. So here in Barbados, as of today, um, we're having this conversation on the 10th of April, 2020, we have 66 confirmed cases and we've had four deaths. That sounds like a really small number, but when you think about the fact that our population is only 280,000 persons, um, it's quite a significant number. Um, The impact that COVID is having on our healthcare system so far is mostly that most of our doctors are, of course, focused on dealing with um, COVID cases. And so we've had some doctors having to move from the general hospital and public health system to the clinics that have been set up to deal specifically with COVID patients and COVID testing. And the backlash effect of that is that most of these doctors are the same ones who deal with the patients who need to be seen regularly for their diabetes and hypertension, high cholesterol which are illnesses that are very, very prevalent in Barbados. Um, right now our country's on lockdown, but unfortunately lots of people don't seem to be taking it very seriously. So as you go out on the road, you still see lots of people moving around. We had to close the supermarkets completely. Supermarkets are not, not allowed to be open. Convenience stores are not open um, just to prevent people from going out constantly and gathering Um, it's a stressful time We can feel the tension across the land really and truly Um, I have to say that our government is doing really well in terms of keeping everyone abreast of the situation as it changes Um, I'd have to say since we started talking about palliative care is that I do have a concern as it relates to COVID and palliative care. I actually read a US-based article yesterday, which I posted to my LinkedIn account, which was offering um, ideas as to how, you know, you can incorporate palliative care into the care of those who are quite seriously ill as a result of COVID. And it had some really good ideas. Like, you know, now there's the thing about social distancing and somebody who is critically ill it's either not going to be allowed any visitors or may only be able to have one visitor. So it was speaking about things like, you know, having a separate room for these people, as much as you can allow it because, you know, there are lots and lots and lots of people coming down with COVID, but as much as you can allow it, or even if you use the same Zoom or so on, so that relatives can still be with their, Family members as they're going through this difficult time, so that you don't feel so alone. Because you know who wants to die alone, right?
0: Yeah, I think that that's one of the most heart wrenching parts of the stories that have been coming out of the areas really hard hit, even like Italy and, um, you know, obviously China and even, even here, obviously in the US, I mean, the numbers here are staggering. So, and I I even had this conversation with my mom, you know, like I, I need you to be well, because I don't, you know, if you were to get sick, I don't know that I can be there with you. And that scares me because, you know, she's not medically trained. She doesn't know what questions to ask. And I can imagine that being such a difficult position to be in. So, and also just with the geography of where you all are, you know, being an island, I can imagine that there's a sense of, you know, uh, you're, it's like you're kind of removed from the potential or or it's harder to get to you if, you know, if other healthcare professionals needed to come over to help, it's just a little bit harder than, you know, a drive up to New York or, or whatever for us here.
1: It's true. It really is true.
0: Yeah. And then
1: everybody's there's the economic aspect as well, because we depend heavily on tourism. Tourism contributes like 40% <laughs> right. to our GDP. So, yeah, it's, it's a huge blow for us. It really yeah. is. I think another thing that um, I've been thinking about, and I actually had a conversation with my brother yesterday, was you know, in the event that one of us or our mom got really, really ill as a result of COVID or because of any other illness, really, like, Are you comfortable? I asked him, Are you comfortable with me being your proxy and asking all the questions if you're not in a position to? Are you comfortable with me making the decisions for you? And I mean, it's a conversation that brought tears to my eyes, but by the end of the conversation, I felt like I felt better because I trust him to make decisions for me. He's not medically trained, but I think that we have similar values and similar beliefs. So I trust him and he told me that he trusts me to make those decisions. And I think that that's something that more people need to do, especially now. Because, you know, it's something that we take for granted. But then you don't want to be in a position where when everything is gone haywire, everything is hectic, you can barely think Mm -hmm. what day is, far less, what should I do for my loved one? What would my loved one want me to say, want me to do in this position?
0: Yeah, such great advice. I, you know, I think that a lot of us, again, because we don't necessarily want to talk about end of life or death or dying, um, we of, often don't have these conversations with our loved ones soon enough or really ever. And um, they're conversations that are important because it will eventually happen to each and every one of us regardless of its you know if it has anything to do with the current state or the current pandemic or later and so the earlier we can be comfortable to have these conversations and like you said even though at the beginning of the conversation it might feel you know a little awkward or maybe that you don't necessarily want to have the conversation at the end you'll feel much better that that you did and both parties would feel much better that you can now know what the wishes are and that you know somebody else knows your wishes so I think it's a really important point I mean even my husband and I are you know we're making sure that our will is up to date and not that we think anything's going to necessarily happen to us right now but it's just a reminder I feel like all yeah, of these
1: exactly it's a reminder yeah it's a reminder.
0: Yeah. So really, really important points. Thank you so much, Dr. Leslie Reese, for being on today and for sharing your time. I know it's um, in high demand and so I I didn't want to take too much of it, but I do appreciate your insights and your time and um, sharing this important information with the listeners.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it.
0: Thank you to Dr. Leslie Reese for coming on, sharing her insights into palliative care, how it differs from hospice, her advice to our listeners, and the importance of destigmatizing the concept and conversations around death. I enjoyed this conversation. I hope you did as well, and I can't wait to see you here again next time.